hi, and welcome to our Title Now pop-up webinar. I'm Melissa Murphy, and I have the pleasure to host these Title pop-up webinars from time to time. And we try really hard to bring topics that are of current interest to our listeners. We just want to make sure that you know what's going on in the title industry, in the title insurance industry, in the real estate industry, generally, because this year there's been a lot going on. If you have any questions um, during the webinar, post them in the chat or question area over there on the right-hand side of your screen. And once again, we have our brilliant Michael Rothman here to monitor your questions. And uh, toward the end of the webinar, I'll call on Michael to share the questions that you've submitted and we will try our best to answer them. And if we can't get to all of the questions, we have a record of them and I will try to respond to you individually after the webinar. <clears throat> Excuse me. The legislation has been the focus of the past few webinars that I've hosted and today is no exception. But the real focus today is on real estate fraud. It is pervasive, as you all know. You're like, why are you telling me this again, Murphy? It's pervasive. It's something we all have to be aware of, whether it's cyber fraud, wire fraud, email spoofing, email phishing. Um, but today, we're going to talk about what I think is just good old-fashioned forgery. Forgery is back as a very popular way for the fraudsters to steal money. It's in the headlines and it's been the focus of you know, the top story on the six o'clock news, how people have been the victim of uh, forged deeds, taking title away from them. So it's a, it's a real problem. And the Florida legislature, the leadership there was very aware of that. And they took some steps this year to address this problem. <clears throat> I call it the title fraud pandemic, and I'm not sure that's a word that people want me to use, but it's, it's kind of what we're facing right now. So the steps they took um, was in the form of House Bill 1419, which was passed and signed into law by the governor earlier this year. And we are fortunate to have the bill sponsor with us today, Rep. Will Robinson from the Bradenton area, to chat with me about um, why this bill, what is this bill, what does it hope to accomplish? So thank you so much, Rep. Robinson, for being with us today. My pleasure. My pleasure to be here. Sure. So let's start off with um, the story behind this bill. How did it come about? So um, I'm the chair of civil justice, and uh, we have various meetings with the Florida Speaker of the House. By the way, Florida does still have a speaker. Uh, unlike in D.C., we still have our speaker. Um, very good man, Paul Renner. And uh, we went, um, or I went to his office, and we talked about a, a number of topics that he wanted to solve this session, and one of them included this topic, deed fraud. And uh, for him, it was very personal. Um, I believe a family member or, or a colleague of his, uh, this happened to him. And so he wanted to find out ways to uh, to make sure, from a policy perspective, we can combat this issue. I believe Florida is uh, the third highest state for deed fraud uh, in the country. So I went down the hall to his chief of staff, and I and I said to her, uh, "All right, where's the bill?" And she said, 
no representative, maybe you misunderstood the speaker, you're writing the bill. Uh, so I said, oh gosh, I'm a real estate lawyer and I'm board certified, I'm a fund member, but I don't deal with deed fraud all the time. So uh, the, the first uh, thing I needed to do was find some subject matter experts. And the two groups that I contacted were the Clerks Association, who obviously would deal with something like this every day, and the Florida Real Property and Probate section of the Florida Bar. And I convened those two groups together. And uh, we had a, a number of meetings, a number of meetings with me and with them and um, with them and, and judiciary staff. And we came up with probably eight ideas and uh, then ran them by the chief of staff. And as she said, once again, well, you're, 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 the, you're, the, you're the real estate expert, you're writing the bill. And as a side note, um, it is interesting as a legislator because we, we almost think of it like law school. We get a bunch of topics that we may not have experience in and we have to get up to speed on them. We have to figure out, uh, frankly, what the bill does and, and uh, whether or not we're gonna support it or not. I had a, a hemp bill and I know nothing about hemp um, to be honest with you, and someone in the public uh, called me out on that, and that's perfectly fine. But thankfully, I found an area that I do know a lot about, at least real estate law. So uh, those seven or eight ideas were whittled down, and then I worked with our judiciary staff, and we came up with some drafts. And at one point, the lawyer being in me, I was moving commas around and sentences around, and of staff course, finally had to say to me, Representative, please file the bill. Uh, so I filed the bill, and uh, thankfully, the first uh, committee stop was my committee. So I calendared the bill and um, uh, the, the bill started off a bit broader. And I don't know if you want me to go into this uh, level of detail, uh, Melissa, but one area that, that I did have in the bill of the original aspect was requiring a letter from both a title company and a um, real estate agent company um, to, a, to a known seller that their property is either being listed or a closing is going to occur. Uh, we, we had a lot of feedback on that issue, and I thought that was way too broad uh, to cover deed fraud. So that's an example of, of going through the public participation process and taking that out. So we took that out. It got through the first uh, committee of reference uh, very easily. And uh, for me, it was about tackling deed fraud in two different areas. Uh, first, trying to stop the fraud from occurring in the, in the first place. And there's components of the bill, now the law that we'll talk about, Melissa, that, that dealt with that type of situation. And then secondly, what can we do to unravel the fraud or, or alert you to the fraud if it has occurred? So those are the kind of the two main components uh, of the bill. The bill made its way through uh, the House very easily, passed off the House floor unanimously. We shipped it over to the Senate and the Senate uh, passed it unanimously through their process as well. And as you said, Melissa, the governor signed it. So it is a good example um, of a, P a bipartisan piece of, of legislation. Frankly, many of the members wanted it to go further. We can go into some of those ideas, but I thought this was a good starting point, and uh, maybe we'll build on this for, for uh, future sessions. Thank you for that background, because I think it's important for the listeners to know the types of things that legislators take into consideration when they're sponsoring a bill, and they really believe in the bill. It, it's something that's close to their heart or to their profession, and they know about the situation. They feel like they can really help. And one aspect of this bill that I really like is the mandate for the clerks to establish free recording notification services. Lots of clerks have these, but not all 67 of them. And at a high level, basically the clerks must provide this service for free. Property owners have to do something proactive. They have to register 
But if they do, they will get an email notification if a land record is recorded against their property. And the law is pretty specific. That notification has to go out within 24 hours of a, deed, a land record being recorded and must provide information about that document, the either the instrument number or the OR book and page. And I'm old, I'm old. I, I know OR books and pages, but it would al allow the owner to access the document. But very importantly, a phone number at the clerk's office where the property owner can call and ask questions. And the deadline for everybody to have this system up and running is next um, July 1st, I think, or June 1st, I'm not sure which, but mid-year mid next year. And I really can't wait to see how many people register and what types of questions the clerks get because I feel like this could stimulate a lot of questions for the clerks. So did you get much pushback from the clerks on this particular provision? Every word in a bill, I, many times get pushback. And I thought this was the easiest provision in the bill, but uh, the clerks were great to work with. So don't uh, let me say what I'm gonna say now, uh, dissuade you from that. But um, the number five was actually debated very heavily, because uh, some of the clerks already did this and had existing contracts, for instance, that, that allowed for two or for three. Um, so that's why we had a little bit more time for them maybe to get out of those existing contracts to get the number up to five. And the reason why we picked five is actually, frankly, Leon County did five, and I thought five was a fair number. Some may have more than one property that they own, but I, want, I, I didn't want to make this uh, too difficult for the clerks and allow it unlimitedly, but I thought one or two may be a bit too light. So we landed on the number five, and uh, frankly, we got the clerk some, some funding uh, for that as well. So um, I thought it was a fair number that we landed on. Well, and we all recognize that that notification takes place after a land record is recorded. So maybe after a fraudulent deed is recorded, but it's better to find out within 24 hours than six months later. So I like this provision. And um, it, it's also something that property owners have control over. They register, they get the notification. So I like that. And then there are also new provisions to create a remedy for an owner whose property has been purportedly conveyed by a fraudulent deed. So you have the notification and now you um, have these new provisions that create a separate quiet title action for situations in which a fraudulent conveyance has allegedly occurred. And to me, the most important procedural aspect of this is the option for the plaintiff, the aggrieved property owner, to utilize summary procedure in order to get this advanced on the calendar. So how did that idea come about? So very important. So now we're once again dealing with the situation, just like with the clerk's notification, the fraud has occurred and it's going to be a mess, potentially a litigation mess. So we wanted to make sure we had an advancement of that process because many times you're dealing with uh, a pro state party. They may not be able to hire a lawyer. Uh, we wanted to make sure that the process was simple, was easy, was something that the clerks could explain to them without giving legal advice. So there wasn't necessarily a need for a lawyer. 
but um, some may need some may need to hire the lawyer. But we wanted that easy process. So that was that was a very important component to the bill to make sure that an aggrieved uh, landowner could quickly unravel this at the least amount of expense possible. In addition to the process, the bill mandates that the clerks must have simplified forms for the complaint and some instructions for completing the form. So what's the status of that? So um, the clerks actually sent a letter out saying we need the form because we're not lawyers. We're not, gonna, we're not gonna draft it. And thankfully with our subject matter experts, the Florida Real Property and Probate Tech section of the bar um, drafted the form, approved the form, and that's been sent to the clerks. So I believe that's in their possession. So it can be sent out to, to those folks that uh, need to use that form for these types of uh, litigation procedures. Well, kudos to the great people at RPPTL for stepping up and providing that resource to the clerks. Absolutely. Yeah, that also gives us some standardization, perhaps, from county to county as to what those forms look like, which I think is also very beneficial. The next provision in here is a statutory quit claim deed form. So what was the thought behind that? Uh, this was actually, I think, one of my ideas. And I, I was going through the statute and I thought to myself, that's kind of odd. Uh, we don't have a quick claim deed form in here. We have, I believe, a special warranty deed and a, and a statutory deed form, but not a quick claim deed form. And uh, this is an example of a situation where the clerk may be able to reject a deed that does not follow the prescribed form that may be fraudulent. So I wanted to give the clerk the power uh, to do that because as you all know, under Florida law, the, the clerk really doesn't have power to not record something if it meets the prescribed statutory standards. They really don't, they're ministerial. This would give them the power to reject it, very similar to not having a notary stamp or if I talk about the witness requirement uh, that we have under Florida law. So that's one more step that a fraudster would have to take to, to make sure that uh, they comply under Florida law. One question that has come up as a result of that is a concern that all of the quick claim deed forms in our various software programs or forms that we have uh, in Word, you know, everybody has their own set of forms, that they were concerned about having to update those forms to be exactly like that statutory form. But my response has been that the quick claim deed form needs to be in substantially the same form. And so people don't have to worry about a word here, a word there, a placement of you know, information here, you know, where the parcel number is in the document. Do you agree that that's okay? It just needs to be substantially because it, well, I'm not letting you answer. Sorry. Do you agree? No, no, that's exactly right, Melissa. And you know, an example would be, let's say the title. They don't even call it a deed. They call it a, I don't know, uh, the car warranty conveyance or something ridiculous. Uh, that's what it's meant to stop. Uh, is something like that. Uh, not, not that it doesn't meet the exact word of everything in statute. Very similar to the special warranty deed form that we have in statute. It doesn't have to be exact, but it has to have the main components that are required under Florida law. Well, back when I was a baby lawyer, I did lots of title examinations and I would come across what I always called the Ramco deed form that was in the chain of title. And it could be a Ramco deed form from Texas or from Connecticut that some fraudster had pulled down off the internet or went to an office supplies 
store in their state and had a Connecticut quick claim deed form that might not even have witness lines at all because of Connecticut law. So I think there's a lot of value to giving the clerks this, this authority, this statutory authority to reject deeds that are clearly not in compliance with Florida law. So I think that's a great thing. I just just wanted to make sure people realize that it didn't have to track it word for word, letter for letter. So you mentioned the, the witness uh, section. And so let's talk about that section of the bill that has truly sparked the most discussion amongst practitioners. And that is the requirement for addresses for each of the witnesses to be legibly printed, written, or stamped on the deed. Um, no change to the fact that their name has to be clearly legibly printed, stamped, or typewritten under their name. But now this new law requires their post office address to be there. So what was your thought behind that provision and how how is that connected to combating deed fraud? So a funny little story uh, before I answer your question, Melissa, I'm actually in my law office right now um, and my law partners hate this provision uh, because, <laughs> because they think it's going to cause problems, uh, you know, with mail aways. And if they forget the address uh, to do it, it's going to we're going to have problems in sending packages back and forth. So I, I gave them the Bill Belichick quote, just do your job and make sure that the, the people that are signing do their job. Uh, I'm kidding. But for me, it was it was just like a notary stamp, just like other formalities we have with the deed. One more thing that you have to do. I know it's simple and it, and it may not be uh, a lot, but uh, for me, it was one more additional step you have to take if a witness is, in my view, a witness would be part of the scheme along with the, the notary. So maybe the witness putting their home address or the bill does allow for an office address as well, but some sort of address, they may think twice about doing that. And then secondly, if they do put their correct address down, that would give a tool for law enforcement uh, to track down that witness and maybe help unravel the scheme and find out who the, uh, the, the culpable parties are to get someone arrested. Because I know many, many um, of our prosecutors are looking at uh, prosecuting deed fraud. And so this would give them another tool to maybe track down some of those folks that may know about the fraud that occurred. Well, in addition to law enforcement, um, claims attorneys need to unravel a situation that uh, an alleged fraud has taken place. And so a claim is made against the title insurance policy. Uh, the claim is made by the innocent buyer who didn't know there was a fraud taking place. And so they buy this land or buy this home. And then the true owner shows up. So a claim is made against the title policy. And being able to contact the witnesses to the allegedly fraudulent transaction is very helpful. And having those witnesses definitely could help uh, title insurance claim departments with figuring out if there is a fraud because you know, sometimes no fraud has occurred, but the seller has seller remorse and um, wants to unravel a transaction. Now, that doesn't happen that frequently, but it does happen. And so I think this is a great provision. It has caused consternation and questions and reforming of document templates and a lot of questions about what kind of address to put 
in there, if it's your office staff that is witnessing the documents and our response is similar to what you just said, yes, use your office address, that's fine. Um, and then the other thing that I wanna make sure we make clear is the effective date of that provision. So talk about that. And so this is the great part about the legislative process is many folks think once a law becomes law, that's the way it was at the very beginning when the bill was filed. And as I mentioned with the notices that I took out for the realtors and the, and the title agents, that's not the case. The same thing uh, with this situation. Actually, it was you, Melissa, who came to my office. I think it was my office. And you said, this is a, this is a change. It, it'll take some, some time to educate our members at the fund. Would you be willing to move the effective date of this one provision, not the whole bill, but this one provision uh, a few months later so we can get the education out there to make sure we don't have clerks that are rejecting deeds because our members haven't been educated. So I said, sure, that's a reasonable request. And we moved the effective date uh, several months forward uh, to give uh, all the, the folks in Florida time to educate um, whomever needs to be educated on, on this new requirement so we don't have deeds that are improperly rejected by clerks. Well, the industry definitely appreciates that effort. And so the effective date of this witness change is January 1st. The other provisions of the bill have already gone into effect, but while everybody is going ahead and adding witness addresses to their deed forms and easement forms, anything that needs to be witnessed, um, the true drop dead date for that, when the clerk can and should start rejecting them is January 1st. So thank you very much for listening to the industry about that. And then the last thing in the bill that I wanna chat about is the pilot program that's been authorized in Lee County. So what was the purpose behind that and, and what do you know of the status of that pilot as of today? So we were, we were still drafting the bill uh, even even though I'd filed it, we were still tinkering with it, and we frankly ran out of time. There were, you know, it's a 60-day legislative session. You have to have a lot of your bills through the process well before that. And there were some other ideas that that we had. And I I developed a very good relationship with the Lee County Clerk. He was great. He kept sending me spreadsheets of almost every county and what the fraud was and the status and how it occurred. And so I was getting more and more ideas. And once again, staff had to tell me, Representative, stop. Uh, we need to get this. We need to get this bill across the finish line so we get it over to the Senate. So we had to stop our work. So we we came up with an idea of giving the Lee only in Lee County, the Lee County clerk some pretty broad authority on um, driver's licenses and photo ID, and to develop a plan to see how that would look both in person and also if you were e-filing it, uh, what what type of ID would be required uh, to show that the seller was indeed the seller. Um, for that, I believe we had it for a mortgage and for a deed. And uh, so the pilot program is meant to see how that works, allow the clerk to uh, develop his plans and procedures. Does, does, does something like that really slow down defraud? Uh, is it something we may consider implementing statewide? Uh, are there other ideas based upon this pilot program that the clerk can come up with? And I'm hopeful that the clerk will um, present in front of my subcommittee week three or week four, which would be in October, November, December um, of this year, to kind of give us a preview uh, of what he's learned over the past couple months. And we'll have several more months after this. So we may not have future legislation this session, we may, but um, I'm interested to hear what the clerk has discovered down in Lee County 
and are there any things we missed? Are there any glitches or, or are, there, are there any other ideas we have? And so the purpose of the pilot program was to see if there's anything new that we can do or, or do better. And also would be very interesting to hear whether they stopped some frauds. Wouldn't right. it be hilarious to hear a story? Well, this person showed up with a deed and they didn't have a picture. And so when they asked about it, they turned around and ran out the door. Yep. <laughs> and, and we're hoping that law enforcement didn't follow them down the street to their car. It'd be great to hear if some yep. frauds were stopped. And it shows you how typical the legislative process can be. So we were really stuck on this last provision. And my big concern at the very end was the public records uh, situation with regarding someone tendering their driver's license to the clerk. So we addressed that um, in certain ways. I don't need to go into it now, but we, we're probably gonna have a glitch bill that will allow a public records exemption because the last thing we want uh, is a fraudster to show up at a clerk's office and get all the, all the driver's license information of those that are most concerned about deed fraud stuff. So to protect that information, but in this bill, we, 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 we did it in the sense of uh, the clerk isn't taking a photocopy of right. the driver's license when the deed is being tendered. And there's another procedure that they deal with when you uh, electronically record it. So we got around it that way. But uh, we will have potentially a bill this session that addresses that more in a global situation uh, to exempt those records from the public. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the clerk's report is. If anybody is more interested in that pilot, you can just go to the... Uh, Lee County Clerk of Court website, and there's information about that pilot program. And speaking of a glitch bill, there's one other thing that has been discovered after this bill went into effect that I think is just such a great example of how hard it is to pass perfect legislation. Um, probably impossible. But if if you take a look at 695.26, which is the section of Florida statutes that sets forth requirements for getting instruments recorded, and that's where we you tweaked uh, the provision to require addresses for witnesses. Well, if you keep reading down, the existing law apparently um, carves out from those requirements, any document executed, acknowledged, or approved outside of Florida, which was really sort of perplexing um, to those of us who do this and do mailaways all the time. And we're thinking, all right, so we send a deed to Wisconsin and it comes back without witness addresses underneath the witness names. Can we still insist that the clerk record that? Do we want that to happen? Because a lot of forgery situations are mail-aways or our documents are emailed to who knows where and the notary is in cahoots with the fraudster. So I think I've mentioned this to you um, and asked you to give some thought as to whether that some kind of tweaking of that provision needs to be in the glitch bill that you're talking about? I absolutely think it does. And, and um, my guess is that that bill was passed well before we were doing mail aways and uh, emails, and it was probably a dinosaur of, of, 
of a different era, but it doesn't make any sense to me that we allow someone to execute a deed in a different form, even though they're in a different state, to get around our formalities in Florida. So, and it's Florida land. I mean, it's Florida property. So right, we should Florida be property. able to dictate what the requirements are for exactly. Florida property. So. Exactly. And, you know, maybe you should hire a Florida lawyer uh, to look at that deed uh, before you do it. So there's a little plug for my for my great group. Uh, so that that is something that we will look at. And uh, I think it's important that we uh, fix that. All right. So we're we're. We were very easily able to fill 28 minutes. So Michael Rothman, do we have any questions? We do, great program guys. A lot of questions, as you would imagine, going to this new witness requirement. So fire up, shoot them at you, rapid fire. How about a PO box on the witness address? No. Um, does this new witness requirement impact all deeds? I believe so, yes. 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 Okay. Um, does the notary have to now supply his or her address? No. Mortgages, when witnessed? Yes. I believe so. I would say if the mortgage is witnessed, even though Florida law doesn't require a mortgage to be witnessed, if it is witnessed, you have to have the addresses. Agree? I believe so. And I'd have to look at the at the law, but I think I think so. Um, to be clear on the notification system that we're putting in place, this will be an email only. Letters aren't going out from the clerk to the property owner. These are just going to be emails going out, correct? I believe so, because in order to register, you have to provide an email address to the clerk. I think that's correct. I mean, I don't know how all clerks are going to handle it. Maybe in the smaller counties, they may do letters, but I doubt it. I think it would still be emails. That's what the statute seems to suggest. Uh, and lastly, a lot of questions or a lot of comments about privacy concerns for these witnesses. What if the witnesses say, I don't want to share my address out of a concern for privacy? What, how do we approach that? How do we handle that? Well, I mean, they're, they're witnessing a deed and they're, you know, there's, there's addresses that are on the, on the, you know, the property address that are on the first part of the deed. So there, there are situations where there are addresses that are present. I, I would just remind them that they're, they're witnessing a very important document and it's, it's vital that we have all the information, including their address. And um, like, like Melissa said, if they're more comfortable having someone at the law firm uh, do it, uh, we could, we could use the, the address of that law firm. But if the witness is not an employee of the law firm, just an independent witness at the law firm, he should not be using the law firm address, correct? That's correct. That is correct. That is correct. And, and my response correct. to that concern is it's a legitimate concern. I respect the concern, but that person just can't act as a witness. And in there will be situations in which that creates a problem for the grantor because they've got to find another witness. But that's why it is so important for closing agents to communicate with grantors, with sellers, exactly what the requirements are and what they have to do in order to effectively complete the execution of the deed and send it back to them. So challenges. Um, we love the feedback. I'm sure Rep. Robinson loves the feedback because he always strives to uh, 
you know, pass the very best laws that, that we can. So that feedback is, is very valuable. So let us know what you think. So we are out of time. Um, I wanna thank Rep Robinson for his time um, and certainly thank him for his effort uh, in the legislature. And he will probably be invited back sometime next year to talk about yet another bill that has gone through the legislature. So thank you, Will Robinson. My pleasure. And um, thank you to everybody that attended today. And as always, thank you for your support of the fund.